I'm just going to pick up um, a few verses from Psalm 43 that just really spoke to me that I thought I would share with you. And it's that reminder um, that actually we need to come, we need to worship, we need to spend time with God. If you've been doing the um, Be Still course on Wednesdays at RBC, you very much are reminded, and we were reminded this week, of the need to come and spend time with God. And Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. What difference that between that desperation of longing to be with God and that reminder of rejoicing being with God. And it says in verse 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Reminding us, actually, we don't need to be downcast or disturbed. We can put our hope in God. And however you're feeling, whatever kind of day you've had, whether it's been a really great day or a day where you've struggled through, we can put our hope in God. He is our Saviour and our God. And as our first song reminds us as we sang this morning, these are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. If you're able and you're here, if you'd like to stand, we'll sing this together. If you want to remain seated, that's also fine. just stand here reminding ourselves of those words from the Bible, those times of Ezekiel, those times of Elijah, those times of David, those times when we know not only in the past have we seen your hand at work and not only can we look forward to the future when you will come again, but Lord you are with us right now and for that we thank you. We thank you that we can come to you even at those times when we are longing for you and yet still we don't come. Lord, we thank you for that reminder that even if we are downcast or disturbed, we can come before you and put our hope in you. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. 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 Please take your seats. I'm, I know many of us have been enjoying looking through uh, the words of uh, Yet Not I. And we've progressed to verse 3 today. And um, it starts off, of course, what gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer at the beginning of the song. And then that line at the end, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And so as we've done over the last couple of weeks, we're going to have the words on the screen and we're going to throw it open to you. Which wasn't the verse. A fate I dread. Okay, yes, I, I wrote the wrong one down. That won't be helpful, will it? So, no fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. Which of those lines? Ian's got the microphone. He will be wandering around to see how we want to respond. Which of those particular lines maybe do we hold on to or we rejoice about or we refer back to our Bibles about? Which one of those in that particular part of the verse do we particularly resonate with us? And as usual, stick your hand up in here and he'll wander over with the, with the microphone. Thank you, Clinis. He's not wandering, he's walking. <laughs> the second half of that verse is particularly resonant with me at the moment. Um, I've lost two friends very recently, both Christians, but we rejoice that they're with Christ. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you, Clinis. 
Yes. Anybody else? We might need to keep the words up, uh, Sam, for people just to focus in on. Thank you. No faith I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future's sure. The price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. just like to say, um, to just thank the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the resurrection and the life, and he's alive evermore. Praise his name. Absolutely. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you. Anybody else? Uh, Hannah and John. John and then Hannah. Yes, the, the future is sure the price it has been paid. Uh, very much remind me of what Jenny said this morning in terms of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the price that uh, God paid for our salvation. Thank you. Thank you. And Hannah? He's coming. Um, the same line as John mentioned, the future sure, the price it has been paid. But particularly the part where it says, the future sure, you know, I think times are incredibly turbulent at present, I think, on a global level. And I think also for us individually, I know that, you know, I move through so many transitions in my life. and. And knowing God, knowing what he did for me, knowing that I am his actually means that I am grounded, means that I'm anchored, means that I have, I have a hope and I have a future regardless of what kind of, you know, trials and tribulations and turbulence the world can put in my direction. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Um, over on that side, and I'm sorry, I can't see who you are because I've got the, I've only got reading glasses on this fast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sorry, uh, my name's Grant Taylor. Um, I just want to say uh, I love God, Jesus, for all He's done for me in the past, and um, I think he, what He done for us on the cross is amazing. Um, he's, he's, uh, the pain he went through, the, the audacity of uh, Pilate to put into um, prison the way he did after all he'd done for us. Really fantastic, um, fantastic, uh, lovely um, child's relations that he went through. But he did it all for us on the cross so we could live and rejoice and be happy. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Anybody else? Daniel, thank you. Oh, good. I'm really pleased you're making him walk this far. It better be worth it now, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first line, uh, no fate I dread, yes. I don't want to forget them. Yeah. It's that, that confidence that we yeah. have in that as Christians, we don't, we don't need to fear about our eternal fate because Jesus mm. paid that price on dying on the cross that we have that assurance that we'll be be with him in heaven Absolutely. when when we leave this this life and enter the next. Thank you, Daniel. And you are actually with where I was as well. You know that sense of no fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. You know sometimes don't you think we can think oh yeah but God didn't really mean to forgive me for that. We can sometimes beat ourselves up. It's not God that's doing that. It's sometimes it's ourselves that think yeah but yes but yes but but actually so clearly there. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. Picking up what all of you have said, he's bled, he went to that cross for every one of our sins, all of us, all of our sins, they've been forgiven. So we don't actually have a dread. We'll be sad for, for those we may be leaving behind, and those that we've left behind will be sad as well. But actually we, as you said, Glynis, you know, we know where those that we've loved have gone. And we know that because... We've been forgiven and we've got that hope of that relationship with God that we are going to be back with him or be with him um, again. So the next part of the verse goes on to say, 
Thank you, Sam. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Anybody want to add anything now we've turned to the second part of the verse? Thank you, Samuel. It is part of the Bible that says, I'm a new creation, no more in condemnation. Mm. You know, uh, for the faith that Christ has died for me, yeah. I'm a new creation. And I have to accept it, yeah. not because of my good deed, yeah. Yeah. but because of the price that was paid. The price has been paid. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yeah, thank you, Samuel. Anybody else? Uh, John? Mine that says, uh, Jesus now and ever is my plea, <coughs> reminds us of Lord's own words that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. No one comes to the Father except through him. Can only ever be Jesus now and ever as our plea. Thank you. And, and picking up from what you've just said as well, John, that sense from Hebrews where we, we know that Jesus is there mediating for us. He's there, you know, recognizing he's standing there for us. Thank you. Anybody else? Oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free. I mean, I mean, that is what our relationship with Christ is about to me, about freedom, you know. And I think particularly like in, um, in the song, you know, as we sing it, there is so much like kind of momentum behind it as you sing it and it's incredibly empowering as well, you know, how we can, you know, stand firm and we can say, I am a child of God. What, whatever has stuck to me, I can let go of. Whatever chain is holding me, I can drop. All because of Jesus. All because of my relationship, our relationship with him. He has released us. And I don't know about you, but I find that like, after I've sung that verse, after I've sung that particular line, my load just feels that much lighter. And I can walk that, and I can run that much faster as well. Who else goes to the other well, very well-known hymn, My Chains Fell Off, My Heart Was Free, I Rose, Went Forth and Followed Thee. You know, absolutely, it just makes you want to smile, doesn't it? It makes you want to rejoice. And uh, yeah, just, just such a, a wonderful sense of freedom, that baggage. If, um, if you're familiar with the, the story of Pilgrim's Progress and... Christian gets into that moment where he realizes what happened at the cross and then all of a sudden his burdens falling away and tumbling down the hill you know he picking up again that sense of freedom that sense of lightness of spirit our chains are released we can sing we are free because of what happened at the cross and yet it's not in our own strength it's absolutely through what Christ has done for us and in us Ian's going to be talking further about that um, verse as he comes in a moment or two. But before we uh, get there, Glynis, would you be willing to come and uh, if you could go to that lectern, that would be really helpful to do our Bible reading, which is from Isaiah 53. Good evening, church. Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 12. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root 
out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and affected. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was trust for, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offering, offspring, and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercessions for the transgressors. Amen. to those at home who didn't hear the last bit because I didn't turn my power on. There is no one like Jesus. No one touches lives and transforms lives or has a bigger impact on lives than Jesus. As we go into this verse that Vicky started the conversation with, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been to the supermarket with about a certain amount of cash and you meant to have gone to the bank before, but you've only got this amount of cash, and you've gone and got the stuff, and you mentally add it up into your mind, and then you get towards the checkout, and you think, I hope I've added this up right. Have I got it right? You know it's going to be close, and you start to now fear. Have I got enough cash? Of course, this isn't so familiar these days, because we all have a card to pay otherwise, don't we? But have I got enough cash? And that fear, that sense of, are they going to push that total and they want more money than I've got in my pocket? Maybe that's one kind of fear. But actually, many of us have many fears, don't we? And I'd like to suggest that fear is one of the most debilitating emotions there are. When we fear something, it stops us being able to move forward on it, doesn't it? I love those glass floors where you can look down and see miles below and watching people and they walk up to it and they know it's certain, they've seen the person in front of them jumping on it but they can't put their foot on it because the eyes and the brains are telling them something from what they actually no. And fear stops them being able to move. Others are fearful simply of heights. 
In fact, there are many, many phobias around what people are frightened of. No fate I dread. It's the first words of this verse. No fate I dread. And if you can think of the worst possible fear, can you actually say, no fate I dread? As a pastor, we get that immense privilege of pastoral ministry. Now, pastoral ministry is one of the most beautiful things you can ever have. And in my ministry, I've been with newborns, and I've been at the point of death with people. But there's something about being there with a Christian sister or brother who is nearing the end of their life, and they're not fearful. They might be fearful of dying, but they're not fearful of death. They might be dreading pain, but they're not fearful of eternity. Why? Because they know the gospel of Jesus Christ is transforming and takes our frailty into something amazing. And as Glynis read this, we were reminded that as Isaiah saw the coming Messiah, Jesus coming, and he, he talked about that prophecy, he was bruised for our iniquity, he was crushed, that we could be forgiven. Those words from Isaiah, looking forward to the coming of Jesus, and they were spoken in faith, there is hope, there's hope coming. But I wonder if we can truly say that first line and absolutely mean it. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. That's an amazing statement. To know you are forgiven, to know you are forgiven. I've come across many Christians who say, I know Jesus died for me, I know he has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And that sense of personal beating up for that which God has forgiven us. Matthew 10:45 and Matthew, sorry, Mark 10:45 and Matthew 28 says this: "For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life." as a ransom for many. There in the gospel, that's that Jesus came and he was going to give his life as a ransom for many. And John the Baptist, that strange character in the desert, saw Jesus coming in John 1, 29, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That status that Jesus was going to be the Lamb of God, of course, the Lamb, an analogy to the sacrifices in the temple. In the temple, people would bring their lambs. It would be the best lamb, not any, you know, runt of a lamb, whatever the weakest lambs are called. I know the runt is the pig, but there is something probably that says it for lambs, I don't know. But actually not the weak ones, not, it was their absolute best. It was brought to God in the sacrifice in the temple as a seeking of forgiveness. But of course then you had to, you went away, you sinned again, you had to go and find another lamb to bring back because actually you needed to be forgiven again. And, Oh no, I've sinned again and go and find another lamb. It gets quite expensive after a while, I should imagine, isn't it? That sense of keep having to come back to give a lamb, a sacrifice, and then we hear of Jesus described as the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. Once and for all. John reminded us earlier of John 3.16, God loved the world so much, he gave his only son. And whoever believed in him shall not die, but have eternal life. Next week, next Sunday, we'll be celebrating Palm Sunday and then going through Passion Week. And we'll be going to the cross. And even on the cross, John 19, verse 30, we read these words. It is finished! Yes! It is finished. You see, no fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future sure. The price, it has been paid. Jesus did it on the cross and he shouted at his voice, It is finished. The job he came to do had been completed. It is finished. And the song goes on, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says these words, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we will be saved. That sense that our Christian message is unique. Jesus is the way to the Father. It always sounds an arrogant statement, that, doesn't it? In this world where we should accept other people's points of view as equal to our own. And not, not be politically incorrect to say other people are wrong. I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to say... If you do not believe that anything else is going to get you to heaven other than Jesus, you are wrong. Okay, that's me being politically incorrect. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. And that is the teaching by which we get our guidance as Christians. And although people might disagree with me, it's one of those statements where somebody comes and says, well, actually, you can get to heaven by being a good Muslim. I'd say, well, I'm going to have to agree, disagree with you, otherwise we'd both be wrong. Because Jesus is the only way. Jesus himself claimed it for himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, living in Romford, if you want to get to the West End of London, there are many ways. You can go around the North Circular. If you're brave, you can go around the South Circular. If you've got a month, you can go around the M25. They're all legitimate ways. And they will all get you there sometime. But if you want to get to heaven, there is no other way. Only by Jesus. Acts 20, 28. It says, so guard yourself from God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. Purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you leaders. Recognising that Jesus brought the church with his blood. This is not our church, this is God's church. Bought with the blood of Christ. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon.
in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. It says this, When we were utterly helpless, ever felt utterly helpless? Yeah, put me in a kitchen, utterly helpless. Put me in, an, actually I can cook, but actually put me in front of an iron, utterly helpless. I put creases in. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by death of his son, and while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. I love the certainty of that language in Romans. We will certainly be saved. Well, I could have covered so many more scriptures in here, Romans 6, 23, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, and many, many more that talks about Christ's salvation that only comes from Christ. And I get a bit worried today because there's a lot of Christians now who say, we don't believe in penal substitution or that the blood needed to be shed for people to be forgiven. And a lot of that comes from our worldview. But the Bible to me, and as I said, I could have quoted many more scriptures, is so clear that it's only Jesus who can save us. And we need to put our faith in him. But not only did he save us, he defeated death. No fate I dread, I know I'm forgiven, the future's sure, the price it has been paid for. Jesus fled and suffered for my pardon, and was, he was raised to overthrow the grave. Jesus did not stay dead. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? You see, they were sure he was dead. They'd put knives into his sides. He'd stopped breathing. He'd been crucified. He'd hung on a cross. Nobody could survive that. There was no doubt when they put him in the grave, he had died. There were witnesses. But they'd heard rumours that he was going to rise again. So what did they do? They put a great big stone in front of the grave, the tomb, and they sealed it. But the tomb couldn't hold him. They'd even put soldiers outside to guard him. Soldiers and a sealed tomb could not hold him. Because the power of God was going to do something amazing. And just when the world and Satan had thought he had the victory, God was going to bring out his power. Do you think it's amazing Jesus rose from the dead? Well, I want to tell you something else that's amazing. That everyone who has a relationship with the Lord Jesus and dies will be raised. 
They will be raised. Not might be. They will be raised. They will come back again. And God has their eternity in his hands. And the raised body will be better than the frail body that died. The future is better than the past. And so when I talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, I could talk about Matthew's account in Matthew 28 or Mark's account in Mark 16, Luke's account in Luke 24 or John's account in John 20. They're all accounts of people going to find and to anoint this body and finding he had been risen. In Acts 1.3, we read, During 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Acts 3.15 talks about you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this fact. It must have been so annoying to the authorities, wasn't it? They thought they killed him, and then people kept talking about, I've seen him, he's alive. Acts 4.33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's great blessing was on them all. And if you read 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8, you see a whole list there of Jesus' resurrection appearances. But as I said, it's not just Jesus who rose again. He conquered death itself. I mentioned Isaiah 25, 8, Hosea 13, 14, Luke 24, Sorry, 20, 35 to 36. But let me focus in on this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26. And after that end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God's the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy... To be destroyed is death. Is death. It's being destroyed. And that gives us hope for eternal life. Jesus, again, I could speak of so many scriptures here, but time is not on my side to go through them all and nor is your attention span therefore I'm going to keep moving forward on it but I'm going to say John 6 40 listen to these words for it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life I will raise them up on the last day now I've been promised many things in life I've got to say, some of those people have promised me things, they've let me down. I've, I've even voted for politicians who've promised me things. And guess what? They've let me down. Jesus has promised me many things. He has never let me down. And he will be faithful. And he has promised that he will raise me up on that last day. John 10, verse 28. I gave them eternal life that they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. 
The future sure. The price, it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered from for my pardon and was raised to overthrow the grave. Can we sing those words not as words and song, but our personal truth? Our personal truth. Our young people, pray for our young people because it's important times. They're coming up to exam times now. And looking at universities and all of them will have filled in their UCAS forms and all that earlier. And one of the things they put, fill in on their UCAS form is their personal statement. Where they spend hours trying to say what they want people to know about them in a few words. And maybe you've, you've applied for a job and you remember writing your CV and on there you want to sell yourself that people will know. I wonder if this verse could be our personal statement. No fate I dread. I know I'm forgiven. The future's sure. The price has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow How would we live differently if we knew that to be totally true? How would we reflect and look at the world differently? And it goes on. To this I hold. What are you holding on to now? What's your security? you're a bit wobbly on the pegs you might have a walking stick or a frame or something that's what you're holding on and you hold on to that because if you're holding on to that you're not going to flat, go flat on your face and that maybe is a metaphor we need to think about what is it we're holding on to that we're not going to go flat on our face to this I hold says a song my sin has been defeated Colossians 2, 14. That is nailed to a cross, having counselled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. And he has taken out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. And so our frames that are stopping us going flat, to this I hold. My sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. We looked at this a few months ago when we looked at the first verse. Our plea is in Jesus when somebody accuses us and says, you're doomed, you can say, no, I'm not, because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done. And then, oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free. That is, the yoke of slavery to sin has been severed. Psalm 116.16 O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handsmaid. You have closed my bonds. And to the man who Jesus healed of demon possession, In Mark 5.8 And if there's anything that is a chain that holds people, it's demon possession. The work of Satan trying to hold people down, hold them so they cannot find life. If you've ever met somebody who's so overcome with grief, 
and trauma and torment. Yet, to Jesus, when he was faced with a man with an unclean spirit, he simply said in Mark 5, 8, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And in that very action for that man, the chains had been broken. Nothing now was holding him back. Jesus had freed him. And although our story may not have been one of being held by chains, of being demeaned, demonically possessed, we may have lived a life of being overcome by fear, overcome by doubt, Worried about our future. Romans 6, 20. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. And Paul, writing to the Galatian church, says this. It was for freedom. Christ has set us free, therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. No fear, I dread. Why? I'm forgiven. So you do not fear. Because if you have a relationship with Christ and has asked him to come in, guess what? You are forgiven. The future, sure. Yes, the future for this week may not be quite so sure. We might not know what's going to happen next week because we're still living this earthly life with all its traumas. and But I'll tell you one thing. Your eternity's sure. Your eternity's sure. Why? Because the price, it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for your pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. Death is defeated. To this I hold. My sin, your sin, it's been defeated. And Jesus, now and ever, is your plea. You need nothing else. You don't need a portfolio and a whole set of things that, you know, ever tried getting a passport? Have you got this? Worse still, DPS. Come on. Bring your utility license, passport, this sort of thing, that sort of thing. Get it all in place. Have you got enough evidence to give you the paper? The only evidence you need for your passport to heaven is Jesus. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can say, I am free, yet not I. But through Christ in me. What amazing, beautiful, wonderful truths that Jesus has done for us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we are forgiven. That whilst we might still fear, have we got enough cash when we get to the cash register in the supermarket? We never need to fear, have we got enough points to get us into heaven?
Father God, we pray, Lord, that we will know and live as people of certainty. Yes, people who love you, but people you love. And you have given this certainty forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we give you ourselves, Lord, and the week that's ahead, and we pray, Lord Jesus, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name. Do please pray for everything that's going on in the church this weekend. It's an incredibly busy week with amazing stuff going on and children's stuff and the holiday at home thing. And we've got some shortage of teams where people have got ill. So please do pray for this week. And next Sunday we'll be gathering on Palm Sunday to remember Jesus coming into the city. And then the following week we will walk through the Passion Week. Let me just say, on Monday, Thursday, that's not this Thursday, Thursday week, we're going to have a simple communion service here, which Vicky's leading. Good Friday at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a shortish service here, because at 11 o'clock we're going to join Christians in the town, where the Gospel's going to be proclaimed to the people in the market. I ask your prayers for that as we do the final preparations for that event. Let's stand and sing this hymn we've been looking at. Blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.